Good morning, church. So good to be together again, just worshiping the Lord. So good to have each and every one of you here present in the house. And great to have you guys as well watching online, wherever you are in South Africa, outside South Africa. Thanks for joining us and for being with us. Amen. And those of you staying close to church, come on, get out and come in here and let's have some fellowship together here. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to know that Jesus is alive that you can worship Him, that He's worthy of all our praise and all our adoration. Amen. Praise God. Well, today, it's part two of our series, Will God Love Me If... Dot, dot, dot. And today's topic is, Will God Love Me If I Am Angry? Of course, it's an emotion which I wonder if anyone in this house has ever felt it. You know, I mean, it's a very, you know... But anyway, we're going to be talking about that today, all right? And uh, you may have noticed, folks, that in this series that we started last week, <clears throat> excuse me, and you might, might have noticed that this series is more on the, on the serious side. Not that anything else we preach is not serious. I mean, the Word of God is serious, and we take the Word of God very seriously. But I'm talking about the topics we're covering in this series, they are perhaps Topics on the darker side of life. Things which we don't normally talk about, especially in church. We don't talk about these things, you know. Last week, we looked at the subject of sexual sin. It is a current topic, and many believers struggle with this, are tempted in this area, and some have fallen to temptation in this area. And some allow these temptations and failures to drive them away from God as they wonder if God still loves them once they've done this. As we saw last week, God does love you, even when you fall into sexual sin. He did not stop loving you. He did not. And all you have to do is run to Him, repent, and He will help you to sin no more and to have strength to carry on. You see, we, we all have this tendency that when we fail, when we sin, when we do or think or experience something which we know is not in God's will, when you feel we are failing and sinning, our tendency seems to run away from God. Our, the first thing we do is we, 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 we stop going to church. We don't want to get close to God's people. And then our Bible reading, our prayer kind of goes down the drain. And that just emphasizes the feeling that we are far from God. But the truth is that we are never far from God. Or let's put it this way, God is never far from us. And, and the Bible is filled with passages which declare just that. One of them is in Acts 17.27. You may want to write some of these scriptures down and refer to them later. One is Acts 17.27, which says that God is not far from each one of us. If God is not far, it means that He is near. Amen. So God is near. Even when we feel that He's far, even when we feel that we are far from Him, the truth is, God is not far from us. Our mistake is we follow our feelings very often. Instead of trusting in the Word of God, in what He says. Remember this, God is not far from each one of us, no matter who you are. Amen? And so today's topic is, 
another one that tends to bring doubt to our minds when we find ourselves experiencing it. It is more prevalent than last week's topic because I think every one of us will in one way or another, to one level or another, we will experience a degree of this. And I'm talking about anger. And it includes bitterness. It includes anger at being harassed. You see, we live in a world which every week or even every day, this world around us gives us opportunities to get angry. Anger seems to be the underlying state of everybody these days. The slightest, slightest, the slightest trigger will provoke an angry reaction. Sometimes it provokes an angry and violent reaction. Road rage is at an incredible rate. Hmm. Now, of course, this past week on Wednesday, we celebrated Freedom Day. Freedom Day is a public holiday in South Africa, and it celebrates freedom and commemorates the first post-apartheid elections held on 27 April 1994. It was the first non-racial, fully democratic election in this nation. It was a day and a time of great joy and celebration. Many of us in this room remember clearly that season, that day, and the time around that. But fast forward 28 years and look around. Are we free? Are we truly better off here in South Africa? When we look at the indicators, the increase in crime, the increase in government corruption, the increase in unemployment, the deterioration of institutions, services, educations, and so on, are we really free? But wait. Those of you watching outside South Africa, let's think clearly. This is not only South Africa. Look around you. Look beyond our borders. Look at Africa. Go beyond that. Look at the world. We talk about freedom, but people are not free. There is fighting. There is economic uncertainty worldwide. This pandemic is still with us. And there is a major war going on that could turn even uglier. Are we free with all this going on? We talk about freedom, but there is a, a modern form of slavery called human trafficking going on. And that is the illegal trade of human beings through recruitment or abduction or by means of force fraud or coercion for the purposes of forced labor, debt bondage, or sexual exploitation. This is going on in our day, 2022. With all our knowledge, civilization, and development, we have human trafficking going on. Slavery. Now, the pandemic put a stop to many things in our, in our lives, but not to human trafficking. It has continued throughout the pandemic. In fact, it has increased during this time. And, and what about persecution and abuse of Christians? People who follow Jesus. Huh? 
In many countries, Christians have no rights. They over there, they may be killed, bullied, treated unfairly, jailed, and there is no authority that intervenes. It's up for grabs. This has been going on for years with no international outcry. In fact, being bullied for following Jesus has been around for the past 2,000 years, right? If you were to guess which is the most persecuted group of people on earth, you would probably guess wrong. Christians are the most persecuted group of people on earth. Around the world today, 360 million Christians are persecuted for their faith. This is one in seven Christians. We don't feel it so much here in South Africa because there is still freedom of religion. And you might be challenged in some of the things you believe, but we can sit here quite happily. We can sing and praise the Lord and raise our hands and we're free. But around the world, in many countries, Christians, our brothers and sisters, can't do this. One in seven around the world are being persecuted for their faith. It's the most overlooked, the most ignored, the most underreported group in the world. And then, of course, we're having to deal today with another anger trigger in the form of bullying. Now, some people may be in a position to express anger at the bully or others as a victim don't feel strong enough to confront the bully. And so the anger is directed inwardly as bitterness or rebellion or even self-harm. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but when one reads about any of these things I've mentioned, and I've just mentioned a few, but when you become aware of any of these things, when you read about these things, or when you experience injustices or unfairness in your daily life, one cannot help but feel anger rising up inside of you. And I'm just touching very briefly on many social ailments going on around us that could trigger anger in any one of us. Just by this brief overview, I am sure you realize that even the most devoted believer will become overwhelmed by anger sometimes. I know I do. Hmm? And that anger will often be followed by very non-biblical thoughts in terms of sorting things out. I wish I could. And not biblical thoughts follow very often. This can happen to anyone, including to devoted Christians. And of course, if anger builds up inside of you because you feel you cannot resolve the situation, resentment and bitterness can build up inside of you. And that is poison to your system. If we are honest with one another, some of us may even admit at being angry with God or at God sometimes. Why is he allowing this to happen to me? Hmm? And this is where many Christians meet the question, does God still love me if I feel this way? 
I'm a child of God, but I'm having these thoughts. I'm a child of God, but I'm so full of anger. I'm a child of God, but sometimes I'm questioning Him. Now, you see, these feelings are the opposite of what the Word of God says we should be like. Let let me share with you just a few verses about anger. And the Bible is filled with passages about anger. Here's a couple of them. Psalms 37, 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Very easy to read. Not so easy to do. Come on. And so when anger comes up, you're full of wrath, the last thing you want to do is cease from anger. You want to do something about your anger. You want to eat like hell. You're not going to do something to somebody with that anger. And so when you feel like that and you read this, that's it. I've missed it. I'm, not, I'm supposed to cease from anger and I'm so full of anger. Does God still love me? What about Proverbs 16, 32? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, in other words, who controls his feelings, his anger, and everything else, is mightier than he who takes a city. And you read this as man. That's the kind of person I ought to be. Yes, in Jesus' name, I'm going to be this man. I'm going to be this woman. Ah. When somebody wants to make me angry, I'm going to be slow to anger. Until that thing happens. Until that trigger comes. And without thinking, you flip your lid, you blow your top, etc., etc., etc. And boom, there goes all your good intentions. Does God still love me? What about Ephesians 4.31? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you together with all malice. It's a very good advice. It's good instruction. As Christians, we should strive to do this. And then you get into the traffic. And then... That colleague at work says that thing. And then you see unfairness happening at school with your children. And then you hear about the teacher that is kind of semi-bullying the kids and saying stupid things. And so many other triggers in our daily lives. And the price of everything goes up. And a few more million or billion rand disappears from the government. And nobody knows what it is. And boom, how can you not be angry? And off we go. And Jesus, you still love me after this. What about Colossians 3.8? Colossians 3.8. But now you, you yourselves, you yourselves, me, myself, we are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And that should be the aim of every believer. And I really believe the Holy Spirit of God works in us to help us to do and become all these things. But it still doesn't take away the reality that from time to time in our lives, some trigger comes along and it will be different triggers to different people. Some people might not be triggered by some things, but be triggered by others and, and so on. But the fact is, sometime or other in your life, something will come along and boom, you just flip off in anger. Because in spite of these biblical instructions, we still get angry sometimes. How many times? 
Did you get angry during this past week? You see, anger is a normal human reaction. The emotion of anger is as common to humanity as sadness or love or happiness. We go through all these emotions, both the pleasant ones and the unpleasant ones. It's part of being human. From the day we were born, <laughs> we never had to be taught how to express our anger. How many of you went to anger classes? <laughs> no. People go to anger management classes, but anger comes now naturally. You don't have to be taught. It just came out. Even if you do not consider yourself to be an angry person, everyone experiences anger at times. You see, folks, the question is not whether you get angry or not. You do get angry. You will get angry. Given a big enough trigger, you're going to flip your lid big time. That's not the question. The question is, what do you do with your anger? And that is the challenge for us as believers. What do you do with your anger? And that is what may cause some of us to question if God still loves us when we feel angry. This has been one of the struggles of believers. If I am really a child of God, how come? I have these angry feelings. Maybe I'm not really saved. Christians think this. Christians express this kind of idea. So let me briefly address this matter today. Anger is an ancient emotion. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 prayers and songs used by the ancient people of Israel in their worship to the Lord. What makes many of the Psalms meaningful to us today is that they express a range of human emotions from sadness to joy, from hopelessness to hope, and from anger, even anger at God, anger towards God, to acceptance. As you read the Psalms, you find that the writers of these Psalms often let God know when they were angry. In other words, when they were angry, instead of running away from God, they ran to God with all their anger. <laughs> and I'm going to share with you some examples. Just, just write them down. Make a note. I'm going to share with you about three examples. Just for you to have an idea. I'm not going to read the whole psalm because they, they're long. Okay, You can go and read them during this week. It's a very interesting reading. I'm going to give you a summary. But in Psalm 77, for example, the writer of Psalm 77, he felt hurt and he felt rejected by God. He cries out and he asks if God has rejected him forever. This guy was so angry, so down in the dump, so lost that he's wondering, God, have you rejected me? Have you forgotten about me? Has your promises failed? He asks. Huh? In another psalm, Psalm 83, <laughs> the writer asks God to destroy his enemies. He is so angry that he asks God to wipe out, destroy his enemies. Ever felt that way about that person <laughs> or that group of people? 
this guy comes to God and asks him to kill his enemies. In, in Psalm 109, the writer expresses his frustration because the good he does or the good he did was paid back with evil. Have ever happened to you? You want to help somebody? You want to do good to somebody? You do something nice and then they kick you in the face? They talk bad things about you? Huh? They, you know, dirty your name behind your back? And so this guy in Psalm 109, he expresses frustration because the good he does is paid back with evil and God seems silent through it all. God, I did this good thing and these guys are being evil to me and you do nothing about it. <laughs> guy is very angry. So you see, your and my frustration and anger is nothing new in the universe. <laughs> and these Psalms shows us that God can listen to and God can handle our most vulnerable venting and prayers of anger. He has been listening to these prayers for ages. Unfortunately, God responds to anger better than people usually do. Amen. <laughs> in fact, we learn in the Bible, listen, <laughs> You might have noticed this or not, but we learn in the Bible that even Jesus, the Son of God, felt anger. In John chapter 2, interesting reading as well. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But if you go to John, John chapter 2, you're going to find this passage. In John chapter 2, we see a side of Jesus that, a Jesus that may be even surprising to us. He's always portrayed as this gentle man, always in control, always, you know, prim and proper and loving and kind and teaching. But in John 2, he loses it. <laughs> he had so much zeal for the house of God that he made a whip out of some cords to drive out a bunch of people and animals, animals and the people that were selling them in the temple. And then he flipped over their tables and spilled their money out on the floor. And this wasn't just a, a sudden burst of anger that came suddenly upon him. No, it says he made the whip. Jesus said, went looking around for pieces of cord. Then he took his time and he put us all together. He made, some, made a nice firm whip. And then he walked in the temple and let those guys have it, man. Jesus. My Savior, your Lord and my Lord. Hello? <laughs> ay, ay. The other day, I, somebody sent me a... Uh, well, I found a, a little clip of a church somewhere. I don't know where. Somewhere in North Africa, I think. But they were... The church, they sing a lovely song. And the people all lying on the floor in front of the church. And a couple of bishops, all nicely you know, dressed up with a collar and everything else. The choir is singing, the music is playing. And these guys are going around with belts, just whipping people. <laughs> and somebody I asked, is, 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 is this the God you serve? I looked and said, come on, man. You know, when are people going to think for themselves? Are, are they thinking that they're doing a Jesus on these guys? You know, whipping the demons away. Gee, 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 you know. Uh, this is just by the way, and I thought of including this here because sometimes 
people in their zeal for God can end up being abused. And unfortunately, these days, many church leaders even are abusing people. That's another thing which triggers anger inside of me, guys. Because abuse, unfortunately, doesn't happen only in the world. It happens in churches at times. In the name of Jesus. Beautiful worship song going on, and these palookas are whipping people, and people are there receiving this hiding in the name of the Lord. Give me a break. Jesus whipped those guys because they were dealing and wheeling, wheeling and dealing inside the house of God. And he used that whip to drive the animals away. He drove the guys away. He, you know, turned over the tables. He told the guys with the doves to take them outside. In other words, he brought correction, but he didn't actually hurt anybody. He hurt their pride. He messed up their business, yes. But he didn't hurt anybody. The reason he told the guys, the reason he drove the animals out is because the guys could go afterwards and gather the animals. The reason he told them to take the doves out is because if he had opened the doves, those guys could never catch the doves again. So he told them to kindly take your doves and get out of here. That they wouldn't lose. They couldn't do their business outside where they should be doing it, not inside the house of God. So you see, Jesus was angry. He did something, but he didn't hurt people in the process. He brought correction. He hurt their pride. He hurt their business because they're doing it wrong. You guys okay with that? All right? So, even Jesus demonstrated anger. And the word zeal that he uses over here, the word zeal can mean anything from excitement to indignation. But when it says that zeal consumed him, you can put the word anger in there. Now you see, anger is a window to our soul. When we respond to a situation with anger, it shines light on what we value and what we consider as right or wrong. Because if I'm angry about something, it's because I value that thing and I consider that something wrong is being done. And so anger comes up. If something you see, witness, or hear about does not produce feelings of anger, it may be because that something is not something you value so much or are passionate about. When a situation turns out differently than we think it should have been, it naturally causes emotional friction in what comes out as frustration, disappointment, annoyance, and anger. For example, a child will get mad because he thought he should have gotten dessert and he didn't. So now he's mad, he's angry. Eh? A teenager will get mad if she thinks that their friend is being treated unfairly. Or an adult will get mad if someone or something they love is taken away from them. It is natural to us. In the passage from John 2, Jesus felt angry because he had high value. He placed high value on God's house. And he knew that what was happening over there was wrong, was abuse, should not happen over there. So what we do, now listen, what we do with our anger is more important than feeling the anger. Feeling the anger is one thing. What we do with it is more important. While our anger might be more of a subconscious, emotional response. It happens, but how we consciously deal with that determines whether or not it is a sin. Anger comes up, 
and it can come up suddenly without you even thinking, oh, it's there. But then what you consciously do with that anger, that is what will determine if it is a sin or not. That is why Paul told the believers in Ephesus to be angry and do not sin. He said, be angry. You've got reason to be angry. Man, you live in Ephesus, you can have reason to be angry. Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, you feel the anger coming in, good. Now, handle that feeling and do something with it that will not lead you to sin. He said that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. We all know that nothing good comes from anger or any emotion that is either uncontrolled or left bottled up. And that is why parents teach their children how to calm themselves and deal with their anger in healthy ways. That is also why James instructs us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger in James 1 verse 19. Okay? Be quick to hear, but slow to speak and slow to anger. Because it's not our anger itself that hurts others. It is how we react to that feeling inside of us with our words, our attitudes, and our actions. Those are the things that can hurt others. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses was so angry with the Hebrews and their rebellion and lack of faith that he acted out by striking a rock twice when God had told him to speak to the rock. God told him, speak to the rock and what's going to come out? But you're so mad at this bunch of Jews which are so lacking faith. and He goes, boom, there, have your water. Now, God was so gracious that although Moses disobeyed his order, the water still came out and the people had a drink. But then God called Moses and says, hey, uh -uh, come here. Because you did not obey me, you did, you did not honor me, you did not glorify me by doing what I told you to do. I wanted the people to see the power of faith. I want them to see my glory by you just speaking that rock, and I was going to give them water. But because you disobeyed me, a direct order I gave you, Moses, you will not see the promised land. Will you not enter the promised land? You will see it, but you will not enter. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12 says the following. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So, hmm. our anger can cause us to disobey direct orders of God. You see, we need to note here that when we sin, God still loves us. God still loved Moses. He messed up. He disobeyed God. He, he showed anger in front of all the people. He showed his frustration and beat the rock. But God still loved him. God still took him to heaven. But he had to endure the consequence of his disobedience. And so remember this. God still loves us and forgives us. But sometimes sins have consequences that we have to live with. You need to remember that. God will forgive you of your sin, but not always remove the consequence of your sin. The lesson we need to learn concerning anger is that we need to take it to the Lord and ask for His guidance in each situation. What, Pastor? Take my anger to the Lord. I'll take my burdens to the Lord. Well, anger is a burden too. Huh? Why, why, why is anger less of a burden than maybe a financial problem or a health issue or a job situation? 
Anger is a burden. And anger must be taken to the Lord as well. Go and have it out with him. Go and vent. Go and shout. It's okay. God will not strike you down with lightning. Ask me. I know. I've done that. I'm a Latin, remember? It's been once or twice in my life when I've had my say with the Lord. Now listen to me, God. And I've had it. And he's been very patient with me. So take it to the Lord. We need to take our anger to the Lord and ask for his guidance in each situation. Jesus warned us that in this world we would have tribulation. We would be harassed. Jesus himself only did good. What happened? They harassed him. Eventually they killed him. So there will always be evil people in this world who oppose good. There will always be situations which will cause anger to rise in you. And people will provoke anger in you. And again, the instruction of the Bible is the same as for any other temptation or sin. Run to God. Don't run away from God. Amen? Run to God. Don't run away from God. Hallelujah. That must always be our reaction. Now, those, those psalms, remember, that I mentioned earlier, where the writers were hurt, angry, and frustrated, this is exactly what they did. They didn't run away from God. They ran to God. Remember, they were expressing their anger, frustration, hurt to God, looking to Him for a solution. Even if their venting was not holy or appropriate, they were doing it in the presence of the Lord. And if you come with all your trouble and anger and everything else and bitterness, you come to the presence of the Lord, then the Lord can do something in you and through you and for you. But if you run away from the Lord with all that baggage, there is nothing God can do for you. You're going to be on your own. So even if you come with anger in your heart and you speak it out to the Lord, He is there to deal with it and to speak to you and give you direction. Let's visit some of those examples again. Psalm 27 that I mentioned earlier, where the writer felt hurt and rejected by God in his present situation. If you read that chapter, after, after a few verses of venting, he begins to remember God's past goodness to him, as well as God's great works. And, and this brought him the assurance that God had not rejected him, that God was with him, even through the present trials he was going through. Even though he felt God was not near, but by remembering his goodness, he knew that God would take him through. So it brought him hope again that God would ultimately come through for him. The guy in Psalm 83, where the writer was so upset that he asked God to destroy his enemies, you need to understand the motive for his anger. He was angry at the nations that wanted to destroy and kill the Israelites, God's people. That's what was happening at that situation. They were being threatened with destruction. And so, God, and so he says, God, they want to kill us. Lord, you kill them. Hmm. And by the way, there are still descendants of those enemies today. There are still people today who want to kill the nation of Israel. Destroy the nation of Israel. Amen? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But that's another conversation. And, and so the psalmist here in 83, he vents his anger and asks God to destroy those nations. But as you read on, he remains angry, but then he begins to pray that those nations be put to shame so that they might seek his face. Huh? He's, all of a sudden, he's changing. And he's interceding for them, that they might seek his face. And they might come to know the Lord, and that the Lord is the most high over all the earth. Even in his anger, 
as he took it before the Lord, suddenly, instead of asking God to kill them, he's interceding for them that they might come to know him. So in spite of his anger, he prays that his enemies may come to know the Lord. And then, of course, in Psalm 109, wow, you've got to be careful when you read that psalm. (laughs) Is where the writer expresses frustration because the good he did is paid back with evil. And God seems silent with it all. And listen, this Psalm 109 is possibly the angriest psalm in the Bible. I mean, you try opening to Psalm 109 and read it out loud thinking of one of your enemies. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to get through it because he's really rough on his enemies. The writer had some choice, creepy desires for his enemies. He was really venting it. And I don't know if you'll be able to say those things about your enemy. And although he keeps his angry attitude throughout the psalm, he then confesses that he is down, that his spirit is wounded, that his body is weak due to fasting, and that he needs nourishment. And by the way, hunger can really put you in a bad mood, okay? So nourish yourself when you feel anger coming up. Go and eat something. <laughs> he calls out for help from the Lord. And then he ends on a note of hope and praise because he's confident that the Lord will come through for him, will come through for his nation, and that they will not be destroyed. And now, if God can hear someone speak, as in Psalm 109, and still love him and help him, then God can surely hear us in our anger and still love us. The important thing remains what you do with your anger. What do you do with harassment? What do you do when you feel you have been treated unfairly? I want to draw your attention to a passage from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. All right? Do the right thing. Don't repay evil for evil. No matter what caused your anger, do not retaliate. You cannot resolve evil by creating more evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Amen? And and I like that if it's possible. Try to live at peace with everyone. Note, however, that this may not be possible. Make sure you do your part in trying. But listen, some people are just difficult, all right? Some people you just cannot get along with. You cannot please them. They are hard to get along with. And you just have to walk away. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, taking revenge or getting even is a bad idea. You see, you you, you cannot get ahead if you want to get even. When those guys were nasty to you, they lowered themselves in every way. And now if you want to take, if you want to avenge them and take revenge, that means you're going to bring yourself down to their level. You can't get ahead if you want to get even. Getting even means you're bowing down to their level. Huh? Rather, let the Lord avenge you. God has more resources and he's got more time than you do. 
So what should I do then? Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, you and I, and I should do what is right, and we should do what is good. Even when angry, we should do good. Let your anger drive you to do what is right and what is good. And, and this is demonstrated by Jesus in another occasion that he was angry. Let me share this last story with you. Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Mark 3, <clears throat> 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, now that's the Pharisees again, okay, the religious people. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Have you noticed this? Last week was the same thing. These guys were always looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. He goes around doing good, helping people, teaching well, and healing. But they're looking for something to accuse Jesus. And there may be some people doing the same for you. You're going to find people sometimes in life doing the same for you. There's one who is always doing the same for you. His name is Satan. And he's called the accuser. And he's always looking for reasons to accuse you. And to point a big finger at you. And say, you nasty little thing. So be careful. Because we have an enemy. Sometimes not just people. Sometimes the people that accuse us are being used by the devil to accuse us, to harass us, and to trigger us. Be careful. So these people are here looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Can you believe it? These flippant religious guys, they'd rather leave the man sick than heal him on a Sabbath. Wow. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But of course, they remained silent because they knew what Jesus was getting at. And so these very religious people, all, they've got nothing to say now. Crickets. He looked around at them in anger because he saw what's going on. These guys want to keep quiet. They'd rather say, no, let's keep the law. We must keep the law. This man must remain sick because it's a Saturday. You never heal anybody on a Saturday. It made Jesus mad to see this kind of attitude. Made him angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Hallelujah. Glory. And the Pharisees were overjoyed, right? No. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's a, it's a, I'll, I'll, let me explain this Herodian thing to you. But first of all, to Jesus. He's very angry. He's angry at religion that misses the heart of God. He's angry at those who think that rules are more important than health and the well-being of a man who is suffering. Come on. He's angry because he loves the man and sees that those who claim to be acting in God's name, the teachers of the law, huh, do not love him. They want to leave him as he is. He's angry because he loves the Pharisees too. But he sees that their stubborn hearts are destroying their relationship with God and messing up their ministry to people. So Jesus is, 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 is distraught and he's angry. Jesus is angry, but notice what he does with his anger. He goes ahead and he heals the man. He did not back down. He did not argue with them. 
He did what was good. He did what was right. He did what was loving. And that's what we do with our anger as far as possible in our lives. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Jesus did just that. Now compare his response to the anger of the Pharisees. How they responded to anger. They were angry with what Jesus did. He did to heal on a Sabbath. And so they stomp off, full of rage, and they go off to a group of people that they despised, the Herodians, to plot to kill Jesus. The Pharisees, they were scrupulous keepers of the law. To the smallest detail, they kept the law. The Herodians, on the other hand, they were Jews who were willing to compromise anything and everything just to be in good terms with the Romans. And so the Pharisees hated these dirty Herodians. Normally, they were enemies. They would never talk to each other. But now, their hatred for Jesus caused them to go unite themselves to the Herodians. Huh? You see, anger can drive you to do good or to do evil. Well, does God love me if I am angry, if I am bitter, if I am harassed? And the answer is, yes, he does. He does. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And that's why when you're angry, don't run away from God. Run to God with all that anger, with all that bitterness, with all those questions, with all that pain. Run to God. Go and vent in his presence. Go and talk to him. Go and cry out to him. Go and confess to him. Go to Jesus with your anger, bitterness, harassment, whatever it is. You'll find in Scripture that the Lord has time for you. You'll find in practice that the Lord has time for you. He will listen to you. So vent out, cry out, and then allow him to speak to you. When you're finally over, when you can't talk anymore, just shut up and listen, and he will begin to speak to you very clearly, gently, lovingly. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you strength. He'll enable you either to endure something or he'll give you a way of getting over that thing. Amen? Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up. Let's close in prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And as we bow our heads in prayer now, maybe right now you're thinking of something, maybe something that happened this week, maybe, and it's an ongoing situation. Maybe it's something that it's been harassing you for a season already, and you are angry. Maybe bitterness is creeping up in your heart. I want to invite you right now to think of that thing and take it before the Lord, even as I pray now. And to take it to Him. And, and don't stop here with this prayer right now. Go home and, and this afternoon, this evening, during this week, take time to be alone with God, alone with His Word, and have conversations with God about that thing, that trigger, that situation that is causing the pain, the anger, the disappointment. Just like those psalmists, and go and read those psalms. Just like the psalmists, which are very honest, very open, very transparent with God in their feelings, you can be transparent with your feelings before God too. He will not reject you. He loves you. He wants to embrace you, guide you, strengthen you, protect you, lead you. So, Father, I thank you for your word today, Lord. 
Thank you for once again reminding us of your great love for us, your great patience with us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be, we can be totally transparent in your presence. It is true that nothing is hidden before your eyes. But it is so good to know that we can come before you. We have this freedom to come before you. Not just with our praise and thanksgiving, but with our anger, our disappointment, our hurt, our frustration. And speak it out in your presence, Lord, knowing that you are there. You are paying attention, Lord. You are feeling our feeling. You are feeling our hearts. You are listening to our pain. You are embracing us with your love. You're not rejecting us. You're not casting us out because you're not living ex- we're not living exactly up to your desires, Lord. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that in Jesus you reveal your love to us, oh God. And I pray for every brother and sister today, Lord, that may be going through a situation of anger in their lives. Whether big or small, Lord, that you come right now and embrace them and bring hope to their hearts in Jesus' name. And as they continue today and during this week to process this anger in your presence, won't you bring guidance and direction and clarity, Lord, in their hearts by your word and by your love to them, my God. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you that you love us, Lord, no matter what. Give us the courage, Lord, to run to you with our situations, never away from you. To gather in your presence, not to run away from the gathering of the saints. To spend time with you with our Bible reading and prayer. Not give up Bible reading and prayer just because we're upset. Help us to do the right thing, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So now, may the love of God the Father. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us as we walk in the love of God, bringing every situation to His throne until we see Him face to face. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much for being together with us. And have a wonderful Sunday, a blessed week. And we'll see you again next Sunday. Amen. God bless you. Amen.